Welcome to the Venture Church Podcast. This sermon was taken from the life of the church. For more messages like this, please see our website, www.venturechurch.co.za. We hope you enjoy this message. I think it's quite safe to say that it has been hectic this year, hey? Have you felt that? Because I know that I have, at least from time to time. And it surprised me. Initially, it was like, oh, we're waiting for, for, for COVID restrictions to be over and things to be easier. No masks, meeting together easily. And suddenly, there's a whole lot of other things that certainly I hadn't foreseen that uh, kind of coming in. There are more demands on us. Uh, whether perceived or real than they were. And it's just challenging. At regular intervals, I like to try and take a little bit of time aside, take stock of where we're at, both personally, where I'm at, and personally and corporately, where we're at as a church. Are we hearing and are, especially we as elders, leading us into what God is saying, or are we just going with the flow? And that isn't an accidental activity. I have to do it intentionally because otherwise the reality of life just kind of seems to take over a bit. And it's at those points that I sometimes ask, Lord, did I, did I hear you? Did we hear you or were we caught up in the glories of Eskom? which has just struck. If you're watching from overseas, we've just had a scheduled power outage. So the point of, of taking stock, the point of, of, of setting this time aside and evaluating where I'm at, where we're at, is to try and see the trends and hear what God is saying in response to them. There was a great word at the pre-service prayer meeting this morning about move, pack up and move to where the oasis is. Great, great word. And that's exactly what I'm, what I'm talking about here is that we need to recognize where the blessing of God is and go there. Don't keep doing the same thing the same way on and on and on and on and on and on again and expecting things to be different. You know the joke about that, that that's the definition of insanity. There's a real truth to that, that we can't expect things to be different and not change. So that's the point of those times. So part of that process has been asking, Lord, did we as elders hear you correctly when you gave us this incredible vision of breaking new ground. Was, was that a mistake, Lord? Did we miss here? I suppose it's always a possibility, and we have to be open to that, because it's just as bad, it's just as bad to not move as to move in the wrong direction not, and believe it's the right direction. <laughs> so it's, it's not wrong to ask that question, did we miss it? I have to say to you that as I've been 
praying and reflecting on this as I've been looking at, at these things that have come in from the side, I recognize that even though I didn't foresee them, the Lord's vision for us is absolutely essential to move our hearts and minds from coping to, dare I say it, thriving. That is God's will for you. It's God's will for me. But we can't, we can't get from this place of feeling like we're just coping to thriving without moving. And I was reminded of a word that, or a vision, a picture that the Lord uh, gave me at the beginning of the year. And forgive me, I just wish to embarrass my son. What an incredible picture of the, of the sun coming up uh, in the morning, and that the Lord wants to shine on us. Well done, Zach. But the, the, the vision that I was reminded of was uh, one that I think I had in, in January, and I shared at the pre-service prayer meeting, I think I shared it in the main meeting, and uh, Mike challenged me to remember it again, and since he did that about two weeks ago, it's been playing again and again, and I realized that if I gave God the time, I would realize that he had been speaking consistently, repeatedly, and if I just listened, he was already showing me what it was. So let me just remind you of that vision. It was the vision, dream, <laughs> picture, image. They're not the same, but I don't know how to describe it, but it was this picture of three thin cows and three fat cows. And as I was in my mind's eye looking, I saw these three gaunt, thin cows coming up out of, from, from a river. And the river was wide and they were, they were coming up. And as they were coming up, they were coming up to the side of a, uh, a rich, mature field of corn. And there on the, on the fringe of this cornfield were these three fat cows. And as they met, as, as, the, as the thin cows met the fat cows, I felt the Lord asked me, what do you see? So I, I said, look, I see these cows and those cows. And he asked me, what do you think is going to happen when the cows meet? So knowing Pharaoh's dream from Genesis and Joseph's interpretation, I said, well, one of the cows is going to eat the other cows. <laughs> I mean, that's the, the obvious thing, isn't it? I mean, cows eat cows. <laughs> so <laughs> knowing that that's, that, that's, that's how I responded. But I felt the Lord say very clearly, and this is where the dream diverges significantly, from what God showed Pharaoh. I felt him say very closely, if you focus on the thin cows, then the thin cows will eat the fat cows and they will look as thin as they were before. But if you choose to focus on the fat cows, then the fat cows will eat the thin cows and they will be just as fat as they were before. Unfortunately, at that point, I had the wisdom to say, Lord, what does that mean? He said, what we focus on now, this season, 
dare I say it even this year, will determine our next season. What we focus on now in this season will determine our next season. If our focus is on the lack, the loss, how difficult the last couple of years have been, how things are still difficult, then the thin cows will eat the fat cows. If we focus on him and new opportunities, because change brings opportunities if we are open and willing to see. And how do we see? Well, as believers, the first, the first thing we do is we seek the Lord. And as we seek the Lord, He shows us, He reveals to us the opportunities that there are in the circumstances that we're in. I'm not denying things are tough. One of the reasons that things are tough is that things are so different. It's not the only reason. We're being expected to do more for what feels like less. Well, it is less because of inflation and petrol and all the rest of it. So I'm not denying that reality, but I felt very clearly the Lord say from this picture, what we focus on now will determine the next season. If we focus on the fat cows, then we will find that they eat up the lack, the loss, the, 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 the don't have, can consume our thinking and can consume our, uh, our direction. You know, nobody ever ran effectively looking back. You know, can, have you ever seen those guys on the, the, the final straight as they go around the track? None of them are running like this. In fact, I believe that they teach the athletes that if you look at the, even out of the corner of your eye, if you look at the people, you will immediately drop half a second and that can make the difference between winning and finishing last. So what are we gonna focus on? So out of this, during this time of reflection, I felt the Lord say that He wants to give us some tools. And one of those tools that I wanna focus on today is that of being good stewards. Good stewards of God's grace. So can I ask us to turn or to read with me from 1 Peter 4? The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded for prayer. Above all, maintain constant love for one another since love covers a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. Just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. If anyone speaks, let it be as one who speaks God's words if anyone serves, let it be from the strength God provides so that God may be glorified through Jesus Christ in everything. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Great, a great passage. So just wanna go through what he's saying there. What is he actually saying? First of all, verse seven, he says, he talks about the end of all things is near. Now this is, a, this is a phrase, a perspective that has been 
badly misused, misrepresented. I don't believe, and historically it bears it out, that this is necessarily an absolute statement in time. That is, that time is coming to the end. The end of all things is near. No, it's a personalized version of that. It doesn't neglect the fact that God is taking history somewhere, but it does, uh, it, it does have immediate application in terms of the fact that God is taking our history somewhere, us personally. Just to, to bear that out, 2 Peter 3, 8 and 9 says, Dear friends, don't overlook this one fact. With God, one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord doesn't delay his promise, as some understand delay, but is patient with you, not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. For me, this verse has been one of the most helpful in terms of understanding God's sometimes incomprehensible, inscrutable timing. When it says at the beginning, a thousand years are like a day to the Lord, it doesn't end there. God is able to see the big picture. He never loses sight of it. But he also says that a thousand, a thousand years are like one day and one day is like a thousand years. In other words, God is able to see the detail, the absolute minute detail in every moment as well as never losing sight of the big picture. And because of that, he is able to be patient. Why? Because his perspective is about making sure that every single one, not only of us, but of those that we rub shoulders with during the week, have opportunity to come to truly know him. That is his purpose and plan for us outside of ourselves. And so that can feel and look and seem like God is not fulfilling his purpose for us. He's not answering our prayers because sometimes he is patient seeing a bigger picture than we currently see. So it's when Peter says the end of all things is near, it has more to do with our attitude we need to live with the recognition that God is moving in history generally and our history personally and bringing that history to an, or giving it an inevitable direction. In other words, God's plan is not going to change. We can be on the train or off the train, but God's train is going the same direction. His patience says, guess what? You've taken a little bit of holiday, but you can still get back on it. If you're breathing, train and be so used to it that you lose this attitude, this big picture sense that God is taking us somewhere. Sure. That's why he says, be sober-minded and alert for prayer. So that attitude results in taking stock, like I was talking about earlier. That attitude results in taking stock and prayer. Why? Because prayer is what aligns us with the will of God. And when we are aligned with the will of God, it releases the power of God 
and the presence of God into those situations. Verse 8, how does love cover a multitude of sins? Don't know if you've ever thought about that. I thought, reading Hebrews, that our sins weren't covered anymore. They were taken away. They were dealt with by the blood of Christ. It literally starts with before everything. In other words, this is the most important thing to understand. It's not about universal time. It's about perspective and values. We do understand that our sins have been removed. And this scripture doesn't deny that. It's actually not even talking about that. We know that love covers a multitude of sins. Often, our love covers the manifestation of sin in other people. It is our choice, our attitude, how we respond that covers the manifestation of the flesh in other people's situations. And that is part of our responsibility and privilege as believers. And I would love to talk a whole lot, maybe another time, about how the blood of Jesus does take away sin. And yet, we still have to fight that good fight. But when he says love covers a multitude of sins, he's talking about living out our faith. And sometimes, just as Jesus paid the price for our sin, we pay the price for our brothers and sisters around us. Verse 9, why do we need to be reminded not to complain about being hospitable? Well, there's a simple answer to that, because it doesn't come naturally and easily for all of us. <laughs> and even for those to whom it does, it can easily be motivated by unbiblical, not ungodly, but unbiblical motives. You can like having people around because you're a socialite and you just can't wait to see somebody. We need to be doing life together. We try and facilitate that as church with our connect groups. And some connect groups are amazingly amazing at making sure that there is great hospitality going on. No connect groups are bad at it. But we try and facilitate this thing so that we have this opportunity to love one another and be hospitable. Hospitality and fellowship are essential for our spiritual health and development. Sometimes it is as iron sharpening iron, i.e. it's a bit rough and abrasive and not comfortable. If we avoid that, that comfort, we miss out on the things of God. Then verse 10, he, he switches over to talk about gifts. Does everyone have a gift? So this is one of the key passages that are extremely easy to remember in the New Testament, talking about the various gifts of God. They are 1 Corinthians 12, Romans 12, Ephesians 4, and 1 Peter 4. How's that? Nice and easy. The Lord lined it up even in the verses and chapters that didn't exist for hundreds of years after he inspired these scriptures. These gifts are diverse expressions of God's grace. So the preaching ministries, the, the words like we had earlier, they are essential, the scripture tells us, 
for a happy, healthy body of Christ, bunch of believers. Does everyone have a gift though? Well, this scripture seems to say so clearly. And it tells us that we are stewards of these gifts. We are not the gifts. We have received gifts. And God gives us as gifts to his church. When we start identifying people with their labels by giving them titles, then it becomes about the person as the gift and the person gets elevated instead of the God of the gift. Sure, that was quite a, almost tongue twister. I hope you were able to follow me through the, the slalom bends of, of that one. Because I, I don't want to belabor that and, and, and repeat it anymore. We are stewards of the gifts of God. And that scripture tells us that each of us has at least one gift. We're not synonymous with the gifts, but they are given to us. The gifts need to be stewarded. So what does it mean to steward something? Because I'm only getting there now and it's a, I need to be landing in five minutes. So what does it mean to steward something? It means ultimately that it doesn't belong to us. We get to use it for the common good, but ultimately it doesn't belong to us. When our great, I don't know, whatever it is, and I, I have the privilege of knowing most of you pretty well, when I look at the gifting that is here and how diverse it is, it's almost overwhelming. That gifting, whatever it is and whatever area of your life it's in, you need to steward for God. If you're married, you need to steward your spouse for God. They are your brother and sister as well. We need to steward the things of God that we've given. So what does it mean to steward something? It means to recognize that we will have to give an account so part of becoming a steward is being given authority and ability. And part of the consequences of that is giving an account. In other words, that there will come a time, and that's why he started off by saying, we need to, the, 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 that time is coming. That there is a focus and a direction of history and the attitude that we need to embrace is this one of stewardship. So it means that we need, to be, we need to recognize that we are accountable and empowered for what God has called us to do. We need to put our gifts to work. This is a much used scripture, Matthew 25, 14 to 30, the parable of the talents. It's got that beautiful double meaning in English, that word talent, but it was talking about money, literally. And it was talking about the stewardship rather than the money. How did the, the steward, steward, i.e. noun as verb, manage what was given to them? We need to put our gifts to work. It's not an option. 
What does the Lord say to the one who buried it and gave it back? You wicked servant. You, Lord, I don't want that. Put your gift to work. It's not up to you what God has given you. That's his thing. What is up to you is whether you prove a faithful steward of the gift of God. And because he's given us gifts, we have authority to walk in them. If you've previously been part of the, uh, the preaching training that we've done, and we're going to be starting it again hopefully next month, um, you, will, you will have heard at least me say this often, trust the gifting. Oh, but I don't know what to say. Trust the gifting. Why? Because it's God's gift that he's given to you so that you can be a blessing to his people. If you recognize you're under authority, trust the gift. God is able to work through you. So what are we stewards of? Briefly, three things. First of all, we are stewards of our calling. What does that mean? That we need to be accountable for the deposit of grace that God has given us. Saving grace. We chose to put our faith in Jesus, but he gave us the gift of faith in the first place. It was our choice in putting it in Jesus that saved us from our sin and brought us into this incredible status of being children of God. We need to continue in that grace. Maturity or maturing is not something in the scripture that is seen as optional. This phrase that I'm sure you've heard, once saved, always saved, has never, as far as I know, by anybody ever meant, I can now sit back because God's done it all and I don't need to do anything. It means that God's got me and my faith is in Him. And when my faith is in Him, there is fruit that comes out of that. Just one quick thought in terms of fruit that comes out of that. When do, do trees produce fruit? When they're happy and healthy, then it's every year in season. So it is not automatic that we will produce fruit. It is only automatic when we are planted with what we need in order to be able to bear fruit. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So a tree doesn't uh, to produce fruit. If it's got, if it's planted well and it has the nutrients in the soil and the rain and it's been pruned and all these other things which are all mentioned in the scripture, then it will naturally produce fruit. In the same way, maturity is not optional. It is, it is the genetic disposition that you have as a believer spiritually. But if you are not feeding yourself spiritually, then that nature will not be expressed in you. So prioritizing reading the scripture, coming and being part of, of church uh, for fellowship, for being in the presence of the Lord, these are, these are the things that set us up that enable us to be fed. So stewarding 
our salvation, stewarding our calling as believers is the first, the first thing that I believe we need to be good stewards of. Take good care of yourself in Christ and you will be a tremendous asset to God in the corporate environment. Secondly, we need to be stewarding our finances well. When, when we look, at, uh, look through the scripture, Deuteronomy 8, 16 and 17 says that it is the Lord who gifts us so that we can earn and earn well. So that means, as I look, uh, as I look out over those of you who are here, that means that most of you, not necessarily all of you, what you are doing now is the call of God on your life. You know, I don't know if you ever thought of this. If all of us were called to be full-time in the church, we would all starve. <laughs> but it's not just pragmatic. The scripture never says that for each one of us, for, for every one of us, we need to be priests and kings in a full-time ministry sense, whatever that means. He called, he has gift, he gifted Bezaliel, for instance, to be a worker in fine cloth and metal and these things so that the tabernacle could be built. And again, when Solomon made the made the, the temple, the Lord provided skilled people. Your skill comes from God. One of our greatest challenges is acknowledging and embracing that. Why? Because what we already talked about as stewardship, if that's the grace, the gift of God, then you use it as a steward. It doesn't define who you are. And for many, many of us, we battle with this, this thing of what we do professionally defines who we are. Therefore, it is mine. It is not. It is the gift of God. Embrace being a steward of it. We get to, therefore, because we work, we get to earn. We get to be those who accumulate wealth, as, as um, Deuteronomy said. So, yes, I'm going to talk briefly about financial faithfulness. But I want to do it in this context. Galatians 5.1 is for freedom that Christ has set you free. So I have the responsibility to share with you God's truth about how you steward your finances. A few weeks back, we were looking at Ananias and Sapphira. And when they sell their property and they bring a portion of it to the apostles' feet, Peter says to them, was this all of it? So there was a word of knowledge that was going on, on there, or there was a prompting of the Spirit. Is this all of it? If at that point Ananias had said, no, 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 we've, uh, we've kept some to live on, the story would have been very, very different. Why? Because Peter says, before you sold it, whose was it? Yours. After you sold it, whose was it? Yours. The issue wasn't about the money. She was about lying to the Holy Spirit. Try that what, that, that, that your desire to look good was more important to you than the truth. 
So it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Don't come under bondage. And I'm saying that because all of us do, and all of us will at some point when it comes to money. Because the devil is super, super good at lying to us about our financial faithfulness. This is a matter of faith. And though it's not as true as it used to be, this is one of our regular monthly opportunities to physically express our faith. Like we heard testimony earlier, when you're sitting in front of your keyboard and you're on your banking app and you've, you've, you've called up Venture Church to, to put in your tithe and you suddenly, your mind is full of all your extra unforeseen expenses and you can't possibly afford to tithe. What's going on there? There's a war going on in your mind. The devil is trying to rob you of the blessing that God promises, as we also heard as part of the testimony. Put your faith into action. It's the only time that pushing that little button has, is an expression of faith. Let me not, not get onto that. So we need to be good stewards of our finances. Why? Because actually, it's God who gives us the ability to earn, and when we have it, he calls us to steward it well. Thirdly, we need to steward our spiritual gifts. And I am lumping everything together here, but I want you to understand that not all of these gifts are of the same kind. When you read 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about some appearing to come from the Holy Spirit and some from Jesus and some from the Father. It's one of those things. They definitely seem to have, there definitely seem to be groups or categories of them. And I like to think of it uh, this way, that the gifts that the Spirit gives require no preparation. They just require faithful response. There were all the wonderful words that came earlier. Most of you, except possibly, no, anyway, most of you had no idea when you walked in this morning that the Lord was going to speak to you something that he wanted to speak through you. No picture, no scripture. Some of you did, and that's great. But most of it was a faith-filled response to a prompting of the Holy Spirit. And he gives as he wills, when he wills, how he wills. <laughs> In other words, you can't do anything more than position yourself by saying, Lord, here am I, use me. And if he chooses to use me, and if he doesn't, because your responsibility is to position yourself. The gifts of Christ, on the other hand, are given once. I think I, think I actually believe that they are given inherently because of the image of God in you. In other words, if you are a teacher, embrace the fact that that is the gift of God in you. If you're a metal worker, embrace the gift of God that's in, in you. If you are a chief executive officer, embrace the gift of God that is in you. Embrace it as the gift of God and steward it as the gift of God. We need to steward our spiritual gifts, getting back to, to, these, uh, to these gifts. Ephesians uh, Ephesians 4 talks about five gifts. Romans 6 adds at least a, a couple of others. Um, they're gifts that are given 
that we need to prepare. We need to position ourselves to be used in the gifts of the Spirit, but we need to prepare ourselves to be used in the gift ministries of Christ. So, I'm really now coming to land. I want to give four quick practical pointers on sharing. It was awesome to see so many people come forward this morning. Thank you so much for your faithfulness to God and being good stewards of the gift of God in you. First of all, come prepared. I've just used, I've just used that word differently to how I did just now. Come positioned, but that sounds weird. <laughs> in other words, come with a heart that says, Lord, I'm here not just to get, but to give. I want to be part of what it is that you're, that you're doing, that you're saying to your people. So come positioned, come prepared. Come forward early. I was having a chat this week with somebody. I know that I've missed it previously because I was overthinking stuff. Ugh! <laughs> One of my challenges was like, actually, I think the Lord maybe let me trust the people who are leading the meeting to whether to release this thing that I'm feeling or not. And I've certainly had it at various times where I've stepped forward in meetings and said, I think I'm feeling this. And they've said, no, that's not it. In fact, I've, I've even had it where I was told, that's not even a word from God. So be very thankful. Those of us who have the privilege of leading meetings will not do that to you because it was done to me. <laughs> but step forward early. Trust those who are leading the meeting. It's their responsibility after all. And God anoints them to release which, when. So come forward early if you have something to say. Have grace if it's not released. You know, f forgive me if, if, if I sound insensitive here, I'm not meaning to be. I am delighted that we are having so many contributions that we're not able to release them all. Thank you for your faithfulness in bringing what God has given you. But please have grace if it's not released. Can I tell you, it's not always you. There's been a couple of times over the last few weeks where somebody's come up and they've said, I think the Lord is saying this. It's like, yes, but I'm not gonna release it. Not because you got it wrong, but because the Lord's already said what he needed to say. And as, uh, you know, as the leader of that meeting, I have the responsibility to not release 200 words, but to keep it to something healthy, but to still make sure that God's word goes forth. So don't feel rejected. It's taken enormous courage to step forward. We honor you for that. And fourthly, don't stop bringing what God gives you. Do you think God has favorites? I've heard this a lot. No, God has favorites. It's usually those people who sit in the first one or maybe two rows. Why? Because they always come forward. Well, does God have favorites? Well, Romans 2.11 says, clearly there's no favoritism with God. But actually, yes, practically we don't believe that. Why? Because we see God using certain people more than other people. So how, how can that be? Well, God does have favorites. 
He favors those who obey him. And the bonus is that, that's very South African, the good news of that is that that is a non-exclusive favoritism. You have access to being God's favorite if you will just obey the promptings. And guess what? If he doesn't prompt you, then don't invent something because that doesn't make you one of his favorites. <laughs> Obedience makes you a favorite of God. So what have I said? I've said we are God's stewards. If we can embrace this attitude, it is a key handle to being able to respond to the season we're in and in our own lives, focusing on the fat cows so that the thin cows are eaten up. We partner with God and we will be called to give an account of what he's blessed us with. He has resourced us and given us the necessary authority to do what he's called us to do and to be. He's given us treasure to steward. He's given us the treasure of our salvation, of our calling as believers. Grow into maturity. Maturity is not about overnight change. It is about a lifelong trajectory to be more like Jesus. Be faithful in your finances. Physically give to your storehouse. But in reality, you're giving to God. And be good stewards in your spiritual gifts, both the gift ministries and the, and the spiritual gifts of the Holy Spirit. Can I ask you to stand? I'd like to lead us in prayer, a prayer of commitment or recommitment as we respond to the Lord. Close your eyes just so that you're not distracted and wondering if the person next to you is and not being good stewards. First of all, Lord, we recommit ourselves intentionally to intentional stewardship. Lord, we embrace this perspective. And the first thing we do is, as embracing it is we give you thanks for the gift in our own life. Lord, you have made no rubbish. We are your children, most of us brimming over with your giftedness. So we embrace intentional stewardship in every area of our life, at work, at rest, and at play. Lord, give us the perspective that comes from stewarding well, that we can steward in the light of eternity. So Lord, we commit our daily stewarding of your calling in our lives, of our finances, and your gifts into your hands. Lord, for what it means for us individually, we ask you to speak to us. May we hear, as, hear your voice as you've spoken in a myriad of different ways already this morning. May we hear your voice for ourselves. Thank you for listening to this sermon. We would love to know how this message spoke to you. Please connect with us through our website, www.venturechurch.co.za or through our various social channels.